Wow. Well, uh, I wish <laughs> that's amazing. I kind of wish we had ended with that topic. Uh, but uh, I do, I do want to ask you uh, a little bit now, sort of, uh, again, changing gears a little bit. Welcome to Stand Up Stand Up, presented by IT Misfits. This is where tech professionals and comedy intersect daily in your new favorite stand-up meet. Each episode has two parts, a roundtable discussion on an IT topic, and then an open source open mic, where each comic shares or works on a stand-up comedy bit. At the end of the week, we perform our final crafted bit. Just like any good stand-up meeting, we try to make these short and valuable. Hopefully, this brings a smile to your day, gives you something to think about, and most importantly, gives you something funny you can share with other IT professionals. All right. Well, with me today are my fellow misfits, Tim Stevens, Matt Campisi, and Samuel Hernandez. My name is Jerry Black. Let's get into it. All right. And uh, today we are talking again with Michael Mace. Today's interview is about the uh, differences in leadership between um, the corporate world and the uh, the military world. But before we get into that, a little open source comedy. Have you ever noticed how frustrating it is when you get text-splained to? That's when a project manager on a conference call decides to try and explain to you how the technology works. Text-splaining. It's a new word. We thought we'd try it out. Let's uh, let's transition a little bit into the differences in leadership um, and sort of taking those leadership roles in the military uh, versus the corporate world and the difference in how, I guess, maybe how you're taught leadership and, and just what you see uh, in the world when it comes to uh, to leadership, what advice you might have to, to people uh, either side of that equation. Yeah, you know, so so the the in the case of the military specifically, you know, you, you've got a couple kind of dynamics happening in the kind of the leadership space. One, obviously you have this whole concept of rank, um, which, you know, gives people a directive authority over others, um, no matter whether honestly, how you feel about the person that has that authority, honestly. Um, obviously in the civilian world, that's not a thing, at least not in the same, not from a legally binding standpoint. I mean, legitimately in the military, if you're given a direct order and you choose not to follow it, it's a, you know, it's a prison sentence. It's not a, you get fired from the military, right? So you do have a, this, this directive authority, but the reality of leadership is that directive authority does not make you obviously a leader. Um, and in the case of the military, at least the military does put a pretty good focus on the development of the people that work for you. Um, now I'm not saying it's always the most implemented we can have debates on how, you know, the practicality of how it's approached, but the biggest difference is in the military, the, the army sends you the people that you're going to work that are going to work for you. You don't really get a vote. There's no interview process in most places. They're just going to send you somebody, then they're going to tell you, hey, this person is your new IT manager. And you don't get to send them back. You don't get to fire them, right? So you kind of you kind of get two options at that point. You can minimize them and, you know, do their work for them, or you lead them, try to grow them and mentor them and, and do what, in my opinion, should be being done. 
Um, I think when you talk to, to, to people like Tim, who I'll use as an example I served with, and, you know, and quite a few other people, um, the weird thing about leadership is it's super hard and also really easy at the same time, right? Because it's, it's, it's really hard in the sense that you have to kind of pour your heart and soul um, and you have to invest yourself into it. And it comes with uncomfortable discussions. It comes with terrible experiences, but it also comes with a lot of positivity and, and great things that come through it. But you have to kind of invest, you have to invest in being a leader. You can't just, you know, do it sometimes. But the what it means to, to be a leader is really simple. It, it really is influencing people in general in a positive manner. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, it's really just putting the putting people first. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, being sympathetic towards everything and every individual in every situation, but it does mean being empathetic towards every individual in every situation, because we've all made mistakes. We've all done things we wish we didn't do. We don't, most of us know when we do something wrong, we feel pretty crappy about it when it happens. We don't need our quote unquote leader pounding us in the dirt for how terrible we are, right? We need them to be empathetic and help recover us right? Hold us accountable, but help recover and fix and make sure things don't happen again. I think in corporate America, um, one of the things is that I don't think there's an onus on leadership. And, I, and as a whole, I don't necessarily believe there's an onus on, on development of people either. Um, and every company has different cultures, different personalities, and that's certainly not in across the board. It's kind of an observation, just being out and watching people at multiple companies and kind of their different cultures and how they approach you know, I think more times than not, the if when we go to hire somebody, we want to hire the person that fills the job role in that exact moment, right? And we tend not to, we'll pass over the guy or girl that may have one skill set that's not developed the way that we want it to, right? And they may not be the best hire on day zero, but we'll pass them over because of that. But in reality is if you grew that one skill, that person now may become significantly higher performing than the person you did hire just it may have taken an extra couple of weeks to get there and you know every every company has their own approach to how they handle that and kind of that balance that they want to they want to maintain um, but I am of the belief that as as in my role as a CTO having folks that work for me is that my number one job is to make sure all of my direct reports can take my job whenever I decide to do something next right and I expect them and their teams to also make sure that their replacements on the team today. I don't want to go hire from outside my replacement, right? I want I want one of the guys or girls who've earned that position, who've grown this company, you know, who've helped us grow and become what we are as a company. That's their job to take next, not somebody from the outside. And if if I if I don't have somebody qualified to fill that position, that's a failure on me as a leader, not on the the team working for me. Have you seen, I, I had run into in, in the past where um, people maybe recently out of the military struggled in the corporate world because they were so used to that rank approach that when they, it was almost like they had a, they struggled to get their mind around the, what do you mean you're not going to do it? Or, or I didn't, you know, almost like I didn't know that was an option to say, no, I didn't feel like doing that kind of thing. Have you seen that? And then what advice would you have for people? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important that people understand that your rank, honestly, doesn't matter a whole bunch once you get out of the military. 
Um, not that there's not perks to having it, not that there's not certain doors that may or may not open, but once you take whatever that position is, nobody cares. Nobody that works for me cares that I used to be a retired, a, a warrant officer and nobody's going to do what I asked them to do because I was a warrant officer. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just, it, that's not how industry works, you know? And, um, there are definitely some folks that struggle, um, and a lot of times what you're going to find in my, from what I've seen, those people kind of quickly fizzle out in a lot of the positions that they're in because you're, you know, most likely you're a good example is I have a friend of mine retired as a, as a colonel out of the army, you know, his boss is a 26 year old Harvard grad, right? Like, you know, they, they have different experiences and that kid really doesn't necessarily care that he used to be a colonel. He, sure. he, that was certainly part of the reason this gentleman got hired in the sense because of the role he was filling. But at the end of the day, his rank doesn't have anything to do with his success. And you really got to kind of leave it at the door. And, hmm. you know, you're going to find, you're going to work for people that were junior to you. And, and to a certain extent, some of the skills that make you really good at industry could be a detriment to your success in the military and vice versa. And kind of understanding what those are and what those strengths and weaknesses when it comes to those specific areas um, is a big deal. Have you ever run into a situation where um, where you're you'd be working with another person, you know, sort of from the military? You're both both in corporate at this point, but you know they were like you know a, a corporal or a, you know like an E E four E six or something, and now they're your boss. And is that does that make that even harder or no, it's, it's the same thing as the Harvard grad versus or, or anything else. So, so I, so up till now for what it's worth, it's been the opposite way for me. Um, I have people that, that I used to work for who now work for me today. Yeah. Got it. So you're the other um, guy in that equation. Yeah. I've okay. been the other way up to this point. Um, you know, I, I think it depends on the individual, right? Yeah, I sure. think, you know, I think, you know, again, Tim knew me on active duty. I, I never, I never cared about my rank, um, in large part because of the organizations that shaped my my kind of who I am the most. Your your success in that organization had nothing to do with your rank, right? Got they it. put the best person in the best job, and we worked out the administrative side of it behind the scenes as appropriate, right? Uh-huh. But when I was the, when I was the senior engineer at JSOC, right, I was an E five and an E six. And I was the senior engineer, not because of my rank, because I was the most qualified at the time to do that. Ah. And I try to bring that same kind of concept to at least my teams where, you know, I'm, I am hiring a, a type of individual over a person with a certain rank or a person with, you know, a certain set of qualifications, because <laughs> I will tell you right now, I would be the first one to hire. I, I would, I would hire some, E5, if they were the right person to do the role. Um, and I don't really care if they're an E5 or not. Same yeah. thing, I'll hire an O6 and I don't really care because it's just, you know, at, at the end of the day, your rank today in this world isn't as important. Who you are matters a lot more. Yeah. So um, a little bit of an aside here, because I didn't think about this until you started talking about it, because you and Tim served together. And so um, can you talk a little bit about you know, sort of that service and maybe your, your guys' relationship a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do we um, so, so t- yeah, as I say, do we, yeah, do we really? <laughs> um, so, 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 so Tim and I, yeah, Tim and I were obviously in the army together and, you know, I'm sure Tim shared his, some of his stories at least over the years, but 
Uh, we were we were actually assigned at the 86 Signal Battalion together. I think from probably about what 2008 to 2010. No, 2010 and, to 2012. Yeah, somewhere around there. 2010. Yep. And uh, you know, Tim, Tim and I pre previously to that assignment had a very kind of different career path than what most of the people around us had. Um, both kind of growing up and in, in, in our in different areas, but you know. We, we kind of came together at the time. I was working in the, the engineering office. And Tim, I don't even know what your original job was supposed to be, but Tim ended up working on the, the ops floor uh, for a while. Um, and yeah, we, had some, we had some communication challenges. <laughs> yeah, we, we had some communication <laughs> challenges with, we were growing super fast. And we went from having about 35 nodes in the network to about 300 nodes in the network over a span of about, 90 days and I and got a little frustrated with kind of how things were being elevated and things were kind of dying on a vine when there were network problems you know like the, as an example the, the 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 G3 office and the or the S3 office at the time and the S6 office would kind of throw problems back and forth um, and nobody would really own them so I went I, I walked over to, to Paul Kraft who was uh, at the time now General Kraft was our commander and I said hey sir we got to fix this um, I'm an idiot so I'll take this on on one condition you let me kind of handpick my team ah. and um, Tim and I had been working together and like I said I, I, I was more looking for a type of person than the right skill set necessarily um, I needed a group of people that when we said this is our problem you know, we weren't giving that problem back to anybody. We understood that when it got to us, it had to be us to solve it. Um, and and Tim fit that build. I'm, you know, you know him. You know his personality. Um, he fit the build. There, we had a couple of other really good people on the team. A, a, a gentleman, Johnny Warren, that we that we stole over as well. Um, and you know, we kind of made our own job. And you know, one of the things that I, you know, give Tim and and, and and Johnny Warren and those guys all the credit to, and, you know, Tim made a joke about it yesterday. It, it was not the easiest job I we've ever had by far. Um, there was a lot of really long, painful hours um, and a lot of learning on the fly and getting punched in the face by other organizations on a regular basis. Um, but in a lot of ways, it was the, the, the three of us really were responsible for the entire tactical network through the through the search through Kandahar and the success from a comm standpoint of what we were able to do in large part is, is, is because of the work that Tim and Johnny did um, in, in support of the task force at the time, for sure. Wow. That's cool. Kind of going right. back to just a, a few chapters ago when we were talking about the, um, you know, bringing in that IT manager, Mace, you mentioned that, or Michael, you mentioned that are coming in. You have no idea what you're, you're, bringing into the organization and the new company, you just have to deal with it. You can't fire them. So I, I distinctly remember, and this is quite a few times of being in the operations center and watching these, these very old and <laughs> um, salty warrant officers come in seeking your advice from different organizations. I mean, these guys had to have combat boots that were older than you. That's how old these guys were. And they were, they would essentially come in and say, hey, we have problems, and we heard you're really good at solving problems. Can you help us out, Mace? And I, I mean, it, it, that kind of goes back to your statement about it really didn't matter as, as far as your rank. At the time, you were staff sergeant. 
is more so they were looking for that skill set, looking for that. But um, the other thing that comes to mind is you know, you mentioned we don't give back these problems, right? And we never did. I think our slogan at the time was the buck stops here is what yep. we ended up calling ourselves or, you know, what we, you yep. know, we crescendo down the hallway. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the element there that resonates the most is the, the anxiety of knowing that some of the, a lot of the communications packages that we had on the ground that we had to support on the back end, we had to make sure the infrastructure was in place to allow for digital voice and, and data uh, was those nine line medevacs. Right. Knowing oh, yeah. that some of those sites are out there. Yeah. That their dependency on our, on comms being up TDMA, FDMA was pointed back to, or was huge part of is You've got to have this up and it's got to be up 24 by seven. There's no downtime. And the reason why is at any given time, we've got to call in a nine line medevac. We've got to get a bird in, we've got to get a casualty out and so forth. So that right there, that is what sits with me still today. Right. That, that little, uh, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's you know, so relatable, I, man. I, people used to ask all the time, like, how did, how, how did you work all the long hours? How did you deal with all the stress? How did you deal with the anxiety? And, you know, I, 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 I think, as, at least as an individual, it's really important to understand why you do what you do for a living. Um, and, you know, there, there's a really great book out there called Know Your Why. Um, if you've never read it, I, I highly recommend it. It's a great book for anybody to read. Um, but, you know, for, for me, at least, the way that I was always able to navigate a lot of that, it was really simple to me. At the end of the day, on the other end of that phone, on the other end of that SATCOM link, on the other end of whatever we were working on at that day, is, you know, somebody's wife, somebody's husband, somebody's children, you know, someone's sibling, a brother or a sister, right? But they 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 are there with you in, in, in Afghanistan or Iraq or any of the appropriate places at the time. Um, but they're away from their family, too. and I always took it a little bit as a personal kind of thing that I was willing to carry with me is that, you know, part of what my job really was over there um, wasn't pro to provide, you know, the best voice call available, right? The reality of our job over there was to make sure that when it was the most important call, it went through. Um, and, and as Tim mentioned, sometimes that important calls and uh, is a medevac, you know, those, the, the, the difference between, you know, seconds mean lives in those scenarios. And some people, you know, can carry that and kind of be very aware of that and make it very personal. That worked really well for me. Um, and, and some people, some people need to kind of avoid it at the same time. But at least for me, um, I kind of went to work every day knowing that what we did mattered. Um, and people's, you know, well-being depended on us doing our job and not handing those problems back. Wow. Well, uh, I wish <laughs> that's amazing. I kind of wish we had ended with that topic. Okay. That's the part three of the interview with Michael Mace. We finish up tomorrow with part four. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, we'll talk again tomorrow. That's it for today's stand up meeting. Remember, this isn't just a podcast. It's a weekly process to find the home. You are front row at the birth of any of this comedy. It's open source, so please feel free to share this with people that you work with. If you share something funny with other people, their day will be brighter, and you'll be amazed at how much better your day is because of it. Thank you very much for being here. 
Have a great day.